Coming at you live from beautiful Costa Rica, this is A to Z with Adam Zachary, episode number 19. Hey everybody, welcome. As you can tell, that was me just changing my voice to create an intro, because I felt it was a little informal not having an intro. And, uh, you know, today is what, day three of my 30-day challenge, proposed to be my sister, um, of doing podcasts. So day three of 30, and uh, today's episode may not roll off the tongue as easily as yesterday's because nobody stabbed me in the eye, I didn't have a life-threatening infection in my leg, I wasn't out chasing horses this morning, I was doing jiu-jitsu, but no horse chasing, no deadly infection, uh, no eye gouging, what else? No crazy girl stories. Um, I'm going to try to not talk about those on here very much. I don't want to embarrass anybody, including myself, because apparently my mom listens to this. <clears throat> so, I'm back on the beach, recording the sounds of beautiful waves crashing into the shore, and reflecting on my life. And uh, it's funny, one thing I have learned being here after living for the past three years, essentially as a hermit, is that uh, I'm a little bit more social than I convinced myself that I wasn't. What I mean by that is, growing up, I always told myself, like, ugh, I don't want to be around people. People suck. And, uh, I mean, people do suck, let's be honest here. I still don't want to be around 99% of people, but um, I am a little bit more, I'll admit, I'll admit, I'm a little bit more social than I thought. And you can tell because... Every time I go into town here, I'll just say shit to people and fucking start talking. Next thing you know, I'm rambling for like two hours. I've met, you know, I don't know how many girls here just because I'm not afraid to open my mouth. And, uh, you know, apparently, I guess girls like their charisma or something. Guys too. Um, Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just entertaining me. I have no idea. But, uh... Yeah, so it is definitely one thing I have discovered on this trip, and even doing this podcast, it's weird, because I really just am pretty much talking to myself uh, the entire time. Uh, Well, I quite literally am talking to myself the entire time, but what I mean is my audience. Um, And uh, so it's a little, not social in that respect, but... It's more social than not speaking at all. Let's put it that way. And uh, I've just arrived at my beautiful beach spot with the bench that somebody has taken apart, a.k.a. a piece of wood that was sitting on top of two other pieces of wood. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm a lot more social than I thought I was, which is both... It's so weird. I don't want my ego to admit the... It's like there's a tie between being social and a lack of manliness like men must be antisocial it's like when you okay I have this other thing too that I've somehow tied together in my years is the connection between a lack of manliness and wanting to be nice to people or make people feel good or make them feel better I've dwelled on that a little bit because I think the direction I'm heading here in the next chapter of my life is going to be personal training, coaching. Um, I have officially 
officially resigned from my job as a hunting guide slash more like a backcountry horseman um, slash hunting guide. I have, as of today, officially resigned from that title. Um, I'm making it sound super serious, but really it's just, I just messaged my boss, who I appreciate very much, has always been very good to me and very nice and very easy to speak to and has taught me life lessons in many regards. I uh, had to message him today and just tell him, like, listen, I can't go up north. Uh, I have to focus on myself and I need to kind of progress a little bit in life because essentially pre-COVID, I was working for a plumbing company and I was doing MMA. I had my second MMA fight, one, and then like after winning my second fight, and having a, I don't want a little humble brag here, a little 2-0 record. Uh, I went from that to COVID starting a month later, and then everything went shut down. And I was working for this plumbing company. The owner of the company was a great guy, but I fucking hated plumbing. There was a guy I worked with who was just miserable all the time. And uh, it kind of permeated through the whole culture. And I think that's pretty common in the trades. But anyways, I... Um, went from plumbing and I got this job randomly working for this hunting outfit and this is at the beginning of COVID so our first season I, I literally this is how it went down I was doing plumbing one day I called the boss of this outfit I had applied it the year previously and never received an answer and so they in 2020 when I called them they, I was talking to the manager and we got along really well and he's like man unfortunately I don't have a space for you but if anything changes let me know or I'll let you know and then we kept talking and I told him that I was competing in MMA and he's like oh shit he's like I love MMA and he had an MMA fight and so did one of the other guys that I work with and uh, he was like you know what if something comes up I'll for sure call you and then a few days later he's like oh look something came up do you want a job and so I'm not shitting you. This is how it went down. I quit my job, like, that day. Then I went home to my house, and I had to tell my landlords that I'd been living with for... I think I'd been living with them for three years uh, in their basement suite. And I liked them a lot. Uh, my old landlords were great, Sarah and Shane. And uh, Sarah was like a... I don't want to call her, like, my mom, because she wasn't at all. But in many ways, she kind of, like, had that motherly figure. Anyways, um... And, uh, so I told her very emotionally that I took this job and that I'm leaving in a week because that was the timeline that was given to me. You know, my boss called me back or my, my new boss called me back and he's like, Hey, can you be up here on Tuesday? And I was like, no, because that's five days from now. And I have to quit my job, move out of my house, find all the shit. Like I had to do everything. And so I was like, give me until the next weekend and I'll come up there. So I think I, it was like 10 days between when I got the job and when I actually drove up there. And just for anybody who's not in Canada or doesn't understand the geography and the distance, I quit my job, put my stuff in storage, moved out of my place, and then drove from Canmore, Alberta to just about the Yukon border in northern BC, parked my car at the time at a random airstrip off the Alaska Highway. And when I say random airstrip off the Alaska Highway, I mean 
you're driving on the Alaska Highway for hours and hours and hours, and then there's just this random left turn into the trees. You take this left turn, and there's an airstrip for bush planes, and that's it. That's it. That's all there is there. There's nothing else there for, like, a couple hours. And so I parked my car there, took all my shit out of it, parked it in the trees alongside all my coworkers' stuff, and... Uh, a plane picked me up and I flew into camp and that was my first year there and I was in the bush for I want to well the first year I was there for like 110 days or something like that but we had no clients so it was all just work and uh, and then the season after that we started like just a few days late because of the way COVID happened and the way the Canadian government fucking did their business which was just insane but we're not going to go down that road right now. I'll save it for another day. And uh, they opened the borders eight days into where our actual hunting season would have started. Now, keep in mind, I come up there in June or July. It's usually in June. Somewhere between the beginning and the end of June, you'll fly into camp. But the hunting season doesn't actually start until uh, October, or uh, not October, sorry, until August. Uh, so generally you'll have a month of work and then you'll have some sheep hunting and then a little bit more work and then some elk hunting and then some more sheep hunting. And so that's what we did last year. And then this past year as well. Uh, and this past year I was in for a hundred and I want to say 113 days straight. So when you say you're in for 113 days straight, that means like, like the only reason I left camp the year previously was to go to the hospital and then another time to go get some paperwork done for the job. But other than that, you're in camp for the entire time, and there's no going to a convenience store or anything. It, you know, it's like a f- seven, five to seven day hike out or uh, horseback ride out of out of the bush there to the nearest highway. That's not even the nearest town, um, and so uh, it was interesting. But when I, you know, after all that, I loved it. I loved the job. I liked the work a lot, but. It was too interruptive to my, I don't want to say everyday life, but it's too interruptive to my goals. And I really want to uh, get back to not just training, uh, but I also would like to get back into MMA a little bit and get back into um, earning my black belt because I really feel at this point in time now it's inevitable and it's really just a waste of my time not pursuing my black belt sooner than later. Uh, I still can compete at a high level. I still have, you know, or especially in a sport like jiu-jitsu, I still have 10 years of, like, prime competition physicality. And then on top of that, uh, just getting the credentials down. You know, so many times, like I spoke about the other day, I roll with these guys who, quote-unquote, have black belts, and it's a completely even match. You know, I've rolled with a lot of black belts now where I don't feel like I'm drowning in the ocean, but I actually feel like, wow, I might, I'm really having an even contest with this guy, let's put it. And obviously this is all in clubs and stuff like that, and there's a difference in competition, but, uh, you know, I think at a certain point that aspect of competition is irrelevant and when you have two good people like for example the coach here in Nosara he's he's definitely uh exceeds my skill level a little bit but we have very good roles and you can tell the roles are genuine he's not just laying on his back and like letting me do this or letting me do that I rolled with a black belt 
yesterday who um an older guy he's like uh he's got three dans on his black belt or something like that but you know he was like the de- this is kind of what i was talking about the other day he was the definition of what i expect to feel from a black belt when i talk about being humbled you know he would just lock me down from a top half guard and just slowly inch his his wrist and his forearm underneath my arm and it was you know i hadn't felt that kind of pressure before i think when you get to excuse me i think when you get to a black belt level there's many things that um are not new but are so refined that they feel different than you've ever felt before so for example this guy's top half guard to a straight arm bar on the opposite side of where you have the half guard if you don't do jiu-jitsu you're not gonna know what the fuck i'm talking about but you can always google it um but his top half guard was so strong that uh, I really felt like he was doing something I hadn't seen before when it came to isolating my arm from the from the rest of my body. And so I went over it with him this morning and he was just kind of showing me the tricks he was doing. But so much of it is just this refined sense of balance and positioning. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing new. Um, and it's really just a re- extremely refined version of the basics uh, to a point where he's able to demonstrate a considerable considerable amount of control over his opponent. And so that's the kind of humbling I want when I roll with a black belt. I don't want to question whether this black belt is teaching me anything or not. I want to, I want to feel like I'm learning something from this person, whether I'm rolling with them or I'm asking them questions or, you know, it drives me crazy when black belts quote-unquote will have no okay i don't want to be rude because some people just don't function the same way as others but i guess it depends on how you're in your black belt because there's a lot of black belts out there who cannot articulate the details required the refinement required to really advance your technique a lot of guys just describe it like describe any move as just go like this just go like that and it's frustrating because it's like I can't tell if this person's hiding something from me or if they genuinely can't articulate how they're approaching the sport. So anyways, well, I don't remember what the original long story was. Long story short, uh, I was I, I had to tell my boss, I'm like, listen, I'm not coming up to work this year. I want to focus on jiu-jitsu. I would love to come up and do roundup with the horses because that's something we do. And, but otherwise, I need to just stick to my goals. Man, I'm going to miss a big time. I, there's a few guys up there, Ruben, Tyson, Chad, all I respect very much. I enjoy their company very much. I've learned a lot from all three of them, including Ruben, who, you know, sometimes I got to tell them like, hey, Rubenator, relax on the chit chat there. I don't need you to ask me how my morning's going because I'm extremely angry right now. Um, and the ever stoic Tyson, who, uh, is kind of like the man's man. And then Chad, who's like a woman's man. And I'm just kidding. But my point being, despite how much I enjoy their company and enjoy working with them, my life has changed a little bit. And especially with my dog, Rosie, who I've, who I love very much and who I have, unfortunately, just the way things worked out this year, haven't spent as much time with her as I wish I would have been able to. Um, I just have to take a step back and realize what my priorities are in life and 
The job is very fun. It's exciting. It's one of the craziest jobs in the world. Um, but it's also extremely uh, distracting from the rest of my life. You know, I'm out essentially for four months. Even if it is only three months, it really feels more like four because the week leading up to it is taken away from you. The, le- the week or two when you get back is taken away from you. And on top of that, I- I'm curious what other people who do camp work think because, I mean, I'm technically in camp for four months. And it is so hard when you get back, if you're not completely on top of it, to break the cycle of laziness after being home for a week or two. And when I talk about breaking the cycle of loneliness... Sorry, I had to make an adjustment here. But when I talk about breaking the cycle of loneliness, I'm talking about... Or not loneliness, sorry. Laziness. Uh, loneliness, too. But that's a deeper, much more emotional conversation on my behalf. Um, when I'm talking about breaking the cycle of laziness, I'm curious what other people think. Because this year, I was much more on top of it. My knee was already fucked when I uh, came out of work. And... Um, so I knew I had to work on my knee I knew I was already out of shape from the season like just from when I came into the season and uh, I just knew I had a lot of things to work on but the previous two years when I came out of work were absolute disaster when I came out in terms of how I approached my laziness and my physicality and my ability to keep myself motivated um, you know, I would just sleep in and then I would do kind of, I don't want to say, well, no, I would, I would do the bare minimum many days because I didn't need to work because I had this fat paycheck from work. Um, and this year I came out, I went right into going to the gym regularly, weightlifting, focusing on my ATG knees over toes stuff. And, and then I came down to visit my mom and sister where I am right now. And so that made it much easier to transition from camp work back to normal life is just having a regular routine to get into, not relying on, you know, waking up whenever you feel like it and going to bed whenever you feel like it and just having a semblance of normalcy in my life. Um, so anyways, quit the job this morning. I don't want to say quit. I resigned from the job this morning and told my boss, listen, you have a, f- a number of months here before the work season gets started again this is where i'm at and uh i just want to let you know so you have as much time to adapt as possible because i don't want to leave you hanging you know three weeks before the season starts and be like oh i'm not coming up so um i'm happy i did it i had to think about it for a few weeks and then yesterday he and i were messaging each other back and forth and i brought it up and he said let me know as soon as you can and so I did because I already knew the answer and I really just had to make the shift to confirming it and then moving on with my life. So now I think I'm going to focus on when I get back to Canada, getting my black belt, um, training as much as possible, really focusing on that. And then on top of that, going through my coaching program with knees over toes and ATG and then uh, you know, maybe working towards a couple other certifications and who knows, potentially going back to school. I've entertained the idea of going back to school for, for a long time. It's just so difficult for me because when I think about school, like literally when I went to, the last time I went to school was Carleton University 
and I was taking a psychology program that turned into a neuropsychology program, which turned into me showing up for classes and just sleeping through the entire class and being kind of like a little fatso skateboarder kid. Although I wasn't nearly as fat back then. I'm not really sure where the fat transition happened in my life, but um, who's kidding? I, I grew up fat. I'm a little fatso. And, uh, but yeah, the, uh, that was like just such a waste of money and time going to school back then. So it makes me nervous, but it also is not like the easiest thing to do to just go back to school. Like, especially when you're 34 and you have as many responsibilities as I do, which is zero, except for my dog. Um, so I don't know. Tell me what you think. I'm thinking about potentially pursuing massage therapy. Everything I do in the next 10 years, I can almost guarantee will be focused on the body. Uh, My sister teaches Pilates and gyrotonics and gyrokinesis. She's also a registered nurse. And my mom is a registered nurse. And, uh, you know, obviously my direction is a little bit different because instead of healing bodies, I focus on breaking them, um, other people's bodies. But also, no, you know, joking aside... I also focus on my own body and experimenting with what works and what doesn't and what might work for somebody else too. So in a way, and this brings me in a massively long roundabout way in the conversation, brings me back to, you know, the connection that I have subconsciously and probably wrongfully made between maintaining my manliness and my manhood and also admitting that the idea of helping people and helping people feel better, um, you know, how those two are connected. Um, So we'll see. Maybe I will be personal training here in the next few years. Maybe I'll go directly into coaching uh, jiu-jitsu. Maybe I'll be opening my own gym here in five years. I'm not sure. Um, But definitely uh, I need to bridge this gap and dump this crude, unsophisticated idea of associating manhood or a lack of manhood with uh, helping people with their bodies or their physicality or the way they feel. Like, I even feel like a pussy just saying that, which is weird. I shouldn't feel that way. But it has been so beaten into me um, by the cruelty of life uh, and the... Um, and the kind of like uh, image that is projected of men here I am look at look at me talking about mental health and all this shit but the image that's projected of men to be I don't have a problem with violence like violence I don't think violence is inherently bad in terms of understanding it and having a connection to it and a relationship with it but I do think it becomes a problem when you can't admit that, uh, or, or when you associate that essentially negative traits that are not attractive to anybody, especially women, those negative traits are somehow making you more manly. I think I've bridged the gap in that entire conversation. I've came about in a roundabout way and, and got back to what I was talking about. Pretty sure. Um, but yeah, so I guess this next... 30 days here part of my struggle and past that point will be to maintain a healthy relationship uh, between myself 
and uh, my relationship with being positive. Uh, I hope nobody saw me just do that. When I said being positive, I like held my fist up in the air uh, like I was a member of the Black Panthers. And I out loud said, being positive. I just did it again. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be part of my challenge over the next little bit is being willing to admit that I get a sense of satisfaction from not only helping people learn, but helping people learn about their bodies and the uh, helping people learn about their health and how to maintain a good relationship with themselves physically, whether it be through uh, strength training, jiu-jitsu, martial arts in general, and uh, yeah, it's funny. I don't know. I don't know where how I garnered that association between like you know you essentially being a pussy if you admit that you like helping people. Uh, it might be a deep-seated resentment of my father because my dad always liked to help people even though he really didn't help anybody. I mean, he did, but, like, sort of. It's very difficult to describe. My father is a complicated figure who is no longer around. And so... Um, he, I think, in his own way, liked helping people. Um, but very often, I think he picked the wrong people to help. It's funny, I read a funny quote yesterday, and immediately I thought of my dad. Because the quote was, uh, what was it? It was like, the only thing helping broke people with is helping you go broke. And that was my experience with my dad. He's always trying to help broke people or fucking fucked up people who had drug problems. And I can't think of one positive case that came out of it. Um, because I really think that people will only change when they want to change. And, and frankly, I don't think people change that much. I mean, every once in a while, someone does a complete 180 with their life. But for the most part, I would say 99% of people make small, incremental, little changes. But in the grand scheme of things, they really don't change that much. And, um, and oftentimes, those who desire to help others when it comes to either their attitude or their addictions, or their money problems, uh, are often disappointed with the results they get from trying to help people. Maybe they aren't. Maybe they aren't looking for results. Maybe those people get off on blowing money in their own time on somebody else who doesn't reciprocate it. Um, you know, I had a convert. It made me so angry last night. I hope you heard me slap my leg. Um, but it made me so angry last night because my mom... This reminds me, I have to write a Google review about this restaurant. My mom continually orders food from this restaurant here in Costa Rica. And it is, I'm giving you a warning. If you ever come down here, it is by far the worst service I've experienced anywhere in the world except for the wood in Canmore, Alberta. In Canmore, Alberta, there is a restaurant called The Wood. And that place also has the worst service. In Costa Rica, in Nosara... There is a beachfront restaurant called La Luna, and that is the runner-up slash tied for world's first um, in terms of the worst fucking service in the world. And I told my mom, I'm like, please don't order from them again. I hate seeing you throw your money down the drain because they're expensive. And then on top of that, she likes to get it delivered to the house. And 
I told her, I'm like, please don't order from them. Please don't order from them. They don't respect you. They always mess up your order. Just just tell them what you think, and then we will order food from somewhere else. And I think she was already halfway through ordering from them, so she went ahead and did it and gave them a little bit of her polite shit that she gives people before she goes ahead and does something anyways. And so I couldn't believe it. Like, she ordered a falafel dish. It comes, and it's missing half of the fucking dish. Like, literally, half of the falafel dish is the fucking bread, the fresh pita bread that you put the falafel in, and what shows up? Just the falafels and some sauces. And I was just, you know, she was super upset, and I could tell it hurt her feelings, and it made me viciously angry, because not only... I hope my mom doesn't listen to this, because I don't want to embarrass her, but it... It just reminds me of a cycle of abuse. Now, I'm not going to talk about my parents' relationship with each other, and I'm not even alluding that that is necessarily the relationship with each other. I don't... Anyways, it was more about the cycle of abuse from a psychological perspective where you continue to look at the same problem expecting a different outcome. The problem has, in this case, has nothing to do with my mom. It has to do with this restaurant and the fact that their location, because it's beachfront, it's the only like real beachfront restaurant here because everything else has to be 150 meters off the beach. Because of their location, they get away with shit like this all the fucking time and it drives me up the fucking wall. Like I went there to meet a girl a few weeks ago to go have a drink and the service was so fucking horrible. I couldn't believe it. I'm not kidding you. This is how it went. I show up to the restaurant. And it's, like, weird because it's all, like, open. All the chairs and tables and stuff are out on the beach. And then the restaurant's, like, back in this building. So I show up there. Haven't been there for five years. But I remember the fucking service was terrible five years ago, too. And I walk in there and I'm like, hola. You know, super fucking nice gringo dude or whatever. Just being polite. And I'm like, uh, I would like a coffee. And the girl just told me to go sit down. Go sit down. And I'm like, okay, maybe... Maybe it's just a little loss in translation or whatever. I'll go sit down. So I'm sitting there for 10 minutes. Whatever. I mean, there's not like, it's not like it's busy. It's the middle of the fucking day. There's like six people there. And there's, I'm not shitting you, like six people inside the restaurant chit-chatting and leaning on stuff. And I've worked in restaurants. Don't even fucking go there. I know what it's like to work in a restaurant. Um, and so sitting there and then... You know, I'm like, oh, fuck, it's been 10 minutes. I'm waiting for my coffee still. I'm fucking thirsty. I'm going to get up and go get a glass of water. So I walk back into the restaurant, and I'm like, hola, por favor, yo quiero un poco agua. And the fucking, she must be the manager, just miserable looking, looks up from her cell phone where she's like kind of like leaning against the counter on her phone, and she's like, go sit down. Like, tell me in Spanish, siéntate, siéntate. Go sit down, go sit down. I'm like... I just wanted to be like, listen, bitch, I'm fucking dying of thirst here in the fucking 400 degree weather. I need a fucking glass of water. I've been sitting outside for 10 fucking minutes. Don't fucking tell me to go sit down. And so I go sit down. They bring out my coffee and then like 10 fucking minutes later, bring out some water. And then the the girl I'm meeting shows up and we chat for a while. But like literally the worst service ever. And... um they just get away with it because they can. It's the same thing as the wooden Canmore, that these two restaurants would not exist if they were ever, for even a fraction of a second, held accountable for their prices, their quality of food, and top everything, the service. And I don't even, I don't need you to fucking 
ask how my day's going. Like, if you walked up to me as a server and said, hey, how's it going? Don't even say, hey, how's it going? Hey, what can I get for you today? Boom. I'll tell you. I'll be super polite. Sorry, I just burped. I'll be really polite. Tell you what I want. I won't ask you for anything else. I probably won't complain about anything. Unless it's horrendous. Now I got the hiccups. But... It just actually hurt my feelings last night to see my mom upset about this fucking falafel dish because she has ordered from there five or six times since I got here a month ago and they literally will never get it right. They are constantly fucking up orders and and they, they don't offer to pay for the cab to deliver the food again because that's how it works here. It's not really like you just pay for these little three-wheeled vehicles to deliver shit or take you places. Um... And uh, so I'm making a request to my mother, not through the podcast, I'm going to talk to her later today, that anytime she wants to order food to let me take her little electric golf cart and drive to the restaurant so I can pick it up so she's not paying for the taxi drivers. And on top of that, I can deal with any problems that arise when I go to pick up the food as opposed to her being upset for an hour waiting for the fucking fresh bread to show up and then having to pay another $8 for the delivery fee. So, um, anyway, I'm, I gotta be honest with you. This 30 day challenge, great for my ability to just ramble on incoherently for a selected period of time. And, uh, I, I will thank my sister for that. Look at me being thankful and showing gratitude towards things. So, um, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to walk back over to where I have internet service, upload it. And I'm going to go to the bathroom probably and then uh continue on with my day i'll see you guys tomorrow let me know how you like the new intro and uh see you later episode 18 over and out